Yo, what's up, ladies and gentlemen? I am your host, Armand Lee, welcoming each and every one of you all to another episode of the Quarterly Report Podcast, episode 162. Thank you so much for carving some time out of your week this week. It's been a lot going on, you know, in the sports world and outside of the sports world. It's a, it's a tumultuous time, to say the least, but I appreciate you guys carving out about 90 minutes or so of your week to come kick it with me, man. And because of that... I'm very proud of this upcoming week's show. We're going to be discussing a documentary that I just recently saw. Uh, something that we kind of talk about on this show all the time. It's called The Social Dilemma. It's on Netflix. You can hear my review of the project. Again, stuff that we have kind of touched on on this podcast in previous episodes. Plus, it's the game that so many of you all have emailed or tweeted at me like hey man when you gonna bring it back i actually enjoy the show so back by popular demand everyone listening to my voice right now will have the opportunity to play at home and answer this one simple question did ray lewis say that shit all of that and so much more but first our number one topic this first quarter i love nba basketball i truly do and when I when I say that, it's not just the sport, the sport that I've been following since I was a little child. It's the community around the league. And what do I mean when I say that? The basketball community, the, the NBA community, the NBA fans, maybe you want to call it NBA Twitter, whatever the case may be. It is a different environment than any other sports league that I can think of. Truly. When you watch the slam dunk competition, All-Star Saturday night, it is very much different than when you watch the home run derby or the skills competition in the NHL. It's just a it's a, it's a different vibe, man. You, could, you watch it as a family. Like, I don't watch award shows, but there are a lot of people in my life that do. And they always talk about kind of how the, the, the social community that is around when you watch these award shows. We just had the Emmys and you know, there's it's, it's, it's a fun kind of environment where like-minded individuals get to share their own ideas and their own opinions about one thing that they're all watching together. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's really a dope idea when you think about it. Let's change the focus right back to the NBA, whether it's, and it, and it happens often. Like multiple times in a year, you have the NBA fan base kind of link up like Voltron, right? And, you know, whether it's Dwayne Wade as a judge in the All-Star game this year, whether it's my trash New York Knicks fans in the organization, like, you know, catching the L, catching catching heat when they, they go a whole year saying they're going to get Zion, Kevin Durant, and Kyrie, and they end up with Bobby Portis, you know what I mean? Uh, Taj Gibson, you know, like we link up and at times I don't think it's bullying because it's all in good fun, but obviously they're going to be dark corners of every facet of our society nowadays where people don't know how to draw the line. And we're going to talk about that in our fourth quarter, but typically, typically the NBA environment, the NBA community, it's, it's, it's an unwritten rule. 
and I'm trying. I've been trying to think of a, a of another sport that when you can feel it coming, you can feel it coming. What happened to the Clippers early last week? You felt it coming when it was a game seven after I think it was last Sunday when they blew uh, game six. The Clippers were up double digits, right? We all knew a game seven was coming, and we all I, I don't know anyone who thought the Clippers were going to lose that game seven heading in. So I guess it was Tuesday's game. I don't know anyone who thought they were going to lose, but just the anticipation, just the idea that after all of this season, after all of the talking during the bubble, after all the back and forth with Dane, that these guys would blow a three, one series lead, particularly the way they did it. The NBA, it was like the bat signal just was flashed in the sky. No one had to say a word. No one had to say a word, but we all knew what was going to happen if they lost. And of course, the Clippers lost in Clipper fashion. And I just sat back and, and, and as the jokes and the memes and the skits and the tweets and everything else were coming in, there was a moment Tuesday night where I was just sitting back and just laughed. And I think I even tweeted it. I was like, I love the NBA so much because no other league gives us this moment. Like the Clippers losing was a moment in and of itself, the actual game. But what happened after the game, like when, when you saw Paul George shoot the three pointer off the corner of the side of the backboard, I had never seen a player ever take a shot in it like that bad from that angle. I've seen Batman's missed the whole the whole rim. He hit the top part of the backboard from the side. And at that moment, I was like, oh, they are going to get crushed. And NBA Twitter, the NBA community did not disappoint. And it's it's something about that league that brings that out. And it's so much fun. Even when your favorite team has the the spotlight shine on shown on them as a Knicks fan I can't even tell you the number of times we've been the butt of the jokes but you got to wear that you got to take the L especially when you talk like the Clippers talk I mean <laughs> playoff P Patrick Beverly I got a homeboy shout out to my man Keith he has been telling me for over a decade now that Doc Rivers is overrated and, you know, I, I, I didn't, I never listened to him. I was like, ah, he was a Celtics head coach. So, you know, I, I didn't rock with the Celtics like that. But I would never call Doc overrated. She it's hard not to now, right? We starting to look at everything differently. Because we made the same jokes when it was Chris Paul and Blake Griffin. We made the same jokes before then, if you're old enough, when it was Danny Manning and Elgin Baylor and it was Donald Sterling as the owner. Baron Davis, Elton Brand, like the the list goes on and on when it comes Michael Oliver Candy when it comes to this Clippers organization. What, what like how can you excuse what we just saw? Shout out to the Denver Nuggets. No disrespect to those guys. They are clearly much better than a lot of people gave them credit. They have a, one of the best players in the league as their center. If Jamal Murray, if is this is if this is kind of what we can expect from him moving forward, if he can consistently play like he's played in the bubble moving forward, 
then the game has changed. If Michael Porter Jr. can just find some defensive instincts, the game is different now. This is a team that's going to be a team that you're going to have to reckon with for the future. All of that is fine and good. That doesn't excuse a damn thing that the Clippers did because they showed you. They would get up by 20 points and 16 points. And that joint would just go. Just like you're trying to hold water. Just slips out of your hands. And before you know it, they're down eight. Shooting jumpers off the side of the backboard. You have Paul George saying, oh man, the beginning of the season, like we never looked at this as a championship or bust scene. The fuck you talking about, bro? You have a a three-year deal with an option after year two. Hello, year two is next season. (laughs) I just, it was such a remarkable choke job. And the fact that NBA Twitter just, like I said, linked up like Voltron. When do you ever see that? The The only examples that I can come up with both involve the New England Patriots. When the Falcons, <laughs> when the Falcons played the Patriots in the Super Bowl, that was that was literally the first time that I saw another league kind of get in on the fun that is what the NBA does regularly. Like routinely, you know what's going to happen All-Star Saturday night. Whether it's a good dunk contest or not, you know the jokes are coming. You know the memes are coming. Each playoff year, it's something that happens. Whether it's Damian Lillard waving bye-bye to Paul George and Russell Westbrook. Whether it's, you know, uh, Kawhi hitting the shot and you see Joel Embiid crying on his way to the locker room. You know the jokes are coming in the NBA. They just always do, but they very rarely happen in other leagues to the magnitude. Like, I remember watching the, the Patriots-Falcons Super Bowl when the Falcons jumped out to that huge lead. Tom Brady had a fumble pick six or fumble that was returned for a touchdown, and people put the meme where MLK, with the, the ghost of MLK, was laughing over his shoulder. And then fast forward to the collapse, and you had people making jokes about how the Falcons let down our, you know, our civil rights leaders. And, like, that was the first time I saw another league. And correct me if I'm wrong. You can email me at quarterlyreport at gmail.com. Tweet at the show at quarterly show. I don't remember another example before that of a league outside of the NBA where just everyone was Dave Chappelle. Everybody got the jokes off. And if, if I mean, the Falcon fans, y'all going through it right now. So, you know, maybe, maybe if, again, it's, it's like either the Patriots or the Cowboys, right? Like, even when the Seahawks threw the interception at the one-yard line, people killed Pete Carroll, and people had fun, but it wasn't to the degree. It didn't, it didn't feel like it was to the, the degree that what happened to the Clippers or what happens regularly when the Warriors blew their 3-1 lead, when the Thunder blew their 3-1 lead. It's like the jokes are coming. You better have tough skin because the NBA community will fry your ass up. And it's it's a it's something, the community aspect is something that I enjoy so much. I can watch the NBA games, and we're going to touch on this a little bit later when we're going to talk about the Social Dilemma documentary. But I, it's almost as if I'm addicted to watching the NBA games with my Twitter app ready. 
whether I'm tweeting, getting out for tweet myself, or I'm just reading it, it's just almost like that's the new normal now. It's like when you go, well, if there ever what, like if there ever is a theater again, movie theaters. It's like going to the movies and you just get the popcorn. It's like ingrained into you now, into your mind now. Like this is what you do. It's like when I get in the car, I don't even think about putting the seatbelt on anymore. It's just boom. It's a reflex. Same way. I'm watching basketball and I have the phone right by me. Whether I'm reading it or I'm getting a text off my a tweet off myself. It's just second nature now. And you know, everyone is talking about ratings and the health of each individual sport, particularly as it comes to the NBA, how much is being how much the league and how much the growth of the league is being hurt by uh, social activism, all this other stuff. I have no idea. I have no idea. I don't, I'm not one of the people who do not believe that there is an impact. I just don't know how significant the impact is, but it does feel like the NBA is one of the sports that has more than a foot in the pool of other other ways to consume their product. And I don't know if there's a way now to monetize it or to properly uh, identify and engage and monopolize or monetize, excuse me, that audience. But it, it feels as if the NBA has a different level of engagement when it comes to uh, social media content, the social media networks, um, different ways, different platforms outside of the standard television audience. And I don't know when that can be properly identified and maybe I'm wrong but it doesn't feel that way right because when you are watching these bad and we all live in our own bubbles I get that but it just feels different what you saw from the Clippers is unlike anything that I can think of in recent history and I'm, I'm, I'm really again I'm not a hyperbolic person I try to be measured by nature but I thought the Clippers were going to go to the NBA Finals this year. Thought the Bucks were going to beat the Clippers in the Finals. When it comes to talent on paper, the Clippers have more talent than anyone. Could chemistry be an issue? For sure. Obviously, we bring in that many. Uh, and they really didn't even bring in that many players. They just brought in two, right? Trez, Pat, Lou. They've all been playing with each other for a while now. Hell, they, they were playing with each other in Houston, right? So those guys, they have a certain level. I mean, they brought in Marcus Morris at the middle of the season, but it's not like Marcus is out here jacking up 20 shots. He gets in how he fits in. He's a smart player. Landry Shamit, another guy, talented guy. He was there last year. Again, someone who's who understands their position understands their role. Then you bring in the two guys that you think are going to be your big dogs. You bring in Kawhi, who we all know what time it is with him. And then you bring in Paul George because Kawhi signed off on him. And whew, it was something. It was something. And look, I don't want to take the heat off of anybody. But I do think that we have been spoiled by LeBron. And this is not a LeBron segment. I'm, I'm trying to do that. But when you think about, just take this year's playoffs for an example, right? Obviously, these guys are uh, in a completely unique environment, unique situation. This is unlike anything we have, literally, this is unlike anything we've ever seen from the NBA. 
But when you look at the players who have played in Game 7s this year, and we talked about it last week, how great these postseason, these, this, these playoffs have been, and how the NBA should be trying to duplicate this level of play moving forward. Whether they do or not, and whether they're successful at it, remains to be seen. But the play in these playoffs have been so great. I don't know when we've had a postseason that matched, forget being better, but we're just as we're just equal to the level of play that we've seen this year. But in, despite the fact that the postseason has been so entertaining this year, those game sevens, they highlight something. And what it highlights to me is that, yo, this joint's not easy. We are what we watch again. What what I feel are the greatest athletes in the world do the impossible routinely. Like these guys do things that most of us as normal humans can only imagine. Only imagine they do it routinely, and then you get them in the game seven environment, and you can see the pressure. With like without seeing it, you know what I'm saying. What is it, a a known unknown? You can't tangibly hold or see or smell pressure, but you can see it on the bodies of these NBA players and their performance. It's like you can walk into a gym and see a dude put up, you know, on a bench table and just do, like, whatever, how many reps. And you're like, oh, man, he's going hard. And then you realize there's no weights on there. And when you go to a game seven, it's like every single plate has been stacked and you see the pressure. So those reps, it's easy to do a rep with just a 45 pound bar. You know, you start getting into the threes and your body starts letting you know, hey, this is different. And that's what it is when you watch these guys in game sevens. They do the impossible regularly. But with the pressure, the added pressure of win or go home, and you have seen it these playoffs. You saw it with, obviously, Kawhi and Paul George. You saw it with Jamal Murray, this most recent Game 7. You've seen it with uh, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Kemba Walker, Pascal Siakam. You saw it with Donovan Mitchell. You saw it with Chris Paul, James Harden. Like, the list goes on and on. Just in these postseason, the only guys who really, really played well in Game 7s Jokic, Lowry, Gobert. Those were the three guys in these game sevens who were like played at a high level. And then my boy, my uh, the dude from the Thunder, who was guarding Harden. I forget his name. He was like, dude was just strapping it. And in game seven, he played unconscious. But it shows you how difficult it is to play in these environments. And when I say LeBron has spoiled us, LeBron James is the greatest Game 7 player of all time, so we expect LeBron James, obviously, is one of the greatest basketball players of all time. In his postseason, his play still is like he's a 27-7-8 guy in the, in the postseason, just regular. In Game 7s of the postseason, his numbers go up to like 35 points, 8-8. Eight and eight. Like his game improves the more pressure that is done in his way. It's it's something that most people don't talk about because for so much of his career, the narrative was he melts under this pressure. But with the exception of the 2011 NBA Finals, that's just not the case. The numbers don't bear it out. And LeBron 
again, I don't know how you guys personally feel about him. I've talked about LeBron several different times on this show, particularly recently. We got to get the man his due. Like we have put that guy under so much pressure and he's performed. He has lived up to it nine times out of 10, literally nine times out of 10. He has lived up to it. And it's instead of just being like, yo, we put a ridiculous amount of pressure on him. Let's step back and re kind of, you know, rethink how we, how we do this in terms of, analysis and and breaking down sports let's let's kind of be a little bit more mature and be a little bit more you know let's kind of come to grips with the idea that you know we we've been doing things wrong when it comes to lebron instead of having that kind of train of thought all that has happened is hey we put lebron we scrutinized lebron this way that was unfair hell we got to scrutinize everybody else this insane way too because lebron has lived up to the hype. He has pushed the bar so high. And instead of just being like, yo, LeBron is the greatest game seven player in the NBA that that the NBA has ever seen, we now expect everyone to perform at the level that LeBron does. We are trying to make LeBron be the average. You know what I mean? And when when you can come to grips with that idea, you realize how absurd it is because even if you're the biggest LeBron hater, there's no denying he's one of the five greatest players of all time. And that's being conservative. So, yeah, it's fun to get our jokes off on Paul George. It's fun. I I did. But I'm not going to kill him but so much because game sevens are hard. Hell, Kawhi Leonard gave us one of the greatest postseason runs in recent history last year, including one of the most amazing shots in a Game 7. In a Game 7, that happened last year. You have people, hey, you know, y'all know the rules on this show. If I name you, that means I have some level of respect to you. I can still criticize you. Nick Wright. I think Nick Wright is a is a, a intelligent analyst. But I think he has, and I'm not knocking him, dog. If this the lick you gonna hit, man, God bless you. But he found his pocket in being basically Bizarro Skip Bayless. Like he was shitting on Kawhi something serious this past week. And what I'm saying is, yo, Kawhi played poorly in Game Seven. He played poorly the second half of this series. Bomb, admittedly so. Everyone has a bad playoff moment. Everyone has bad bad playoff series. Michael Jordan. LeBron, Shaq, God bless the dead, Kobe, everyone. But killing Kawhi after what he did last year because of this game seven is nuts. And the only reason you can do it is if you're saying, hey, I'm using LeBron as the barometer. That's fucking nuts. (laughs) Right? We literally, one of the things I like about Nick Wright is that he is able to articulate just how unfair we have been when it comes to LeBron. But if you believe that, it does not then make sense to use that same level of unfairness to other players, particularly other players who no one considers a top five player of all time. People may think that Kawhi is better than LeBron right now. No one has ever said that Kawhi Leonard is a top 10 player, let alone a top five. No one has said Kawhi is a top 20 player ever. Not yet. And then he just goes to show you again. I 
I respect Nick Wright. Again, I can't watch those morning shows because I know what time it is. You know, I don't go, I don't go to, I don't go to McDonald's. You know, I don't go to Wendy's. I don't go to Taco Bell. I know what time it is there. If you like to go there, God bless you. Bong, have at it. You know, we live in a society in which you can do whatever you want to do as long as you're not hurting anyone or hurting yourself. Bong. If you want to engage in the in the, the morning show theatrics, have at it. I stopped that many years ago because I understand, I know what that is. And it's performance art, but like, it don't get better unless someone acknowledges it. <laughs> and as someone who has seen LeBron be, in my opinion, unfairly criticized for so much so that I don't know if people can greatly fully appreciate just what LeBron has given us, right? Like there's so many people who just dislike LeBron so much that they will never just be able to be like, huh, that was fun. And I know that because when I was a teenager, I didn't fully appreciate Michael Jordan. Because I was just so anti-Jordan. I didn't fully appreciate him until he was gone. And when you when you, when you you lose a Jordan, you realize, oh shit, <laughs> I missed that. I wish that was back. How many years did the, did the, the NBA world just wish, man, I wish Jordan was back. And like, dog. We had AI, we had Kobe, we had Grant Hill, we had Shaq, we had a lot of great players who was trying who were trying to fill those shoes. And it's hard. And when LeBron is gone, dog, he's going to be gone. And it's going to be different. There are a lot of guys who are trying to fill in those shoes right now. And what you see is it's hard. Just like it's hard to win a game seven. So yes. I love the jokes. I hope the jokes never go away. I love, I love the community of the NBA, the community that exists around this league in which we all, again, without any word being mentioned, there was no green light to be like, hey guys, go off. We just knew it. It was a sixth sense and it was amazing. And that night, Tuesday night into Wednesday, it was phenomenal. I had so much fun just reading everyone's tweets and everyone's thoughts. It was fun, and it's so unique to this sport. But what cannot be lost is that, hey, playing in game sevens are hard. <laughs> no matter how easy some of these guys make it out to be. And instead of acting like, hey, you, I just saw LeBron do it, you should do it. Nah, let's kind of change the thought process there. Let's say, hey, LeBron does stuff that not many other players can do. In fact, I don't know if any other player can do what LeBron does in game sevens. Instead of expecting that from everyone, let's just appreciate what we get when we have it because when it's gone, dog, it takes a generation to get it back. I don't, there's not going to be another LeBron, bro. <laughs> it's not. But hopefully, they're going to be some more Clippers because I have never seen a joke job like that from a team that talks so much that hasn't won a damn thing. We have Blazers players, star players from the Blazers talking shit. We had Raptors fans talking shit. We had Lakers fans talking shit. We had Thunder fans laughing hysterically because they just 
swapped out Paul George for just a gazillion draft picks. We even had Spurs fans, Spurs who didn't even make the playoffs. They were talking shit. And it just had me thinking. The Clippers have never won a thing. The Clippers have never even been to the conference championship. Never. Yet they have found, they have somehow found a way to piss off so many NBA fans and personalities and players. Has that ever happened before? I'll give you guys some time to think about it. While you think, I'm sure more people are posting more Clippers jokes and memes even a week later. Keep them coming, man. I enjoyed it so much. And it's something, again, so unique to the NBA. So unique to the NBA. And I love the league. I love the sport so much for it. Because instead of running away from it, instead of hiding from it, they've wrapped their arms around it and they've embraced it. And man, the sport is so much better for it. All right, guys. I want to hear what you guys have to say, have to think about that. Email me. Tweet at the show. Get in contact. Again, Tweet at the show, quarterly show, email quarterly report at gmail.com. All right, guys, first quarter now is in the books, but we're going to stay on the hardwood and talk about postseason awards. It's our second topic this week. Second quarter. This past week, the NBA awards were announced, and it's almost as if it's a rite of passage. Whenever all NBA MVP awards, rookie of the year, you know the list. There's always going to be a significant number of fans and players and media members who just react in the most absurd fashion. And I I understand that we live in a time where, you know, again, measured responses are not necessarily welcomed or they don't. There's no incentive to just be kind of to take a step back and be like, okay, I get that. That makes sense. We live in a world where the hot take, the hot take is, is the position that, that raises the antenna, right? That generates the interest. Like how, how much of a reaction, how outlandish of a response can you have to, if we're being honest, in this case, whether it's the MVP or all NBA decisions that are reasonable like how how much can you amplify your dissatisfaction to a reasonable position too often at least in my eyes in this day and age that is what is rewarded not necessarily the merits of the argument like You don't necessarily have to be convincing. You don't necessarily have to have a compelling argument. You just have to be outlandish because we live in a world where, man, like we consume so much. So what stands out the most? Give it to me. Give it to me. Give it to me. The two arguments here. And let me start with the easiest one first. I literally just raved about LeBron James in game sevens in the first quarter. I literally just did it. You heard my argument. I presented my facts. I presented my case. I think LeBron James is the greatest game seven player in the history of this league. And I told you why. Hear me when I say this, though. There is no argument. Zero. 
of LeBron James winning MVP this season. I don't care if he says he's pissed off. I don't care if Giannis was eliminated in the second round. Like None of that matters. The MVP is a regular season award. If you want to go the route, and I've seen some people suggest that, hey, have it like it is in baseball where you have an MVP in the East and the MVP in the West. I don't necessarily think that that's going to float because so much of the historical debate of the league is tied into how many MVPs you have. And I'm not saying that that's a valid reason not to do it. Like last week we talked about it. Like just because it's always been done does not then mean that that's a reason why it shouldn't change. But I don't think that we are in a position where we're that innovative, where we're like, hey, let's start awarding two MVPs. And even then, I don't even think that that's right. Like that's not the answer. Giannis, no matter how you break it down, his regular season was better than LeBron's, period. The narrative, people were like, oh, LeBron himself was like, oh, well, people are about narratives now, and it's not about the league. Well, LeBron, Joe, like, that ain't new, number one. Michael Jordan would have won every single MVP in the 90s that he played. Every single one. Maybe you make a case for, you can make a compelling case for Barkley. But everything else, nah. Like, yeah, Mike would have won that joint. But the narrative needed to be something special. It needed to be different. Like, you're not special in that regard, Breezy. Like, you're not. And number two, the narrative is on your side. Anthony Davis is on the team. And it's the first time that he's had this level of success. Last year, the Lakers couldn't make the playoffs. You are healthy this year, and you guys are the number one seed. Obviously, and I don't like the quick aside. I don't like what we're doing with the the tragic death of Kobe. God bless the dead. I don't like how, you know, people are so flippant. Oh, make that shot. Kobe was in the building. Oh, when did, like that's nasty. But if we're doing the narrative, like that tragedy impacts the Lakers more than it does any other team. Obviously, so the narrative argument is on LeBron's side. It's not Giannis. Giannis won last year. And I get it. LeBron's looking at it like, dog, I got four MVPs. (laughs) There's no doubt in my mind that LeBron should have at least five, maybe six. Like Derrick Rose is walking around with LeBron's MVP. I get that. So I get how he's frustrated in that regard. And the MVP award, again, Shaq has one. Shaquille O'Neal has one MVP. If you ever saw Shaquille O'Neal in his prime, you understand how ridiculous that is. So there are issues with the voting. And we're going to get to that a little bit later as well. There are vis- there are issues with the award and the, the, the thought process of what actually means, what the MVP actually means. And hell, I think we should do like hockey, like have postseason awards separate of the regular season. But don't talk to me about the regular season doesn't matter. We all spend five plus months watching the NBA's regular season. If you then are telling me that the regular season doesn't matter, I have to look at you and be like, well, yo, why don't you value your time then? (laughs) 
if you are paying attention, if you are watching the NBA's regular season, something that I do, something that I enjoy doing, I would never then turn around and say, yo, the regular season doesn't matter. In fact, every turn, at every turn when you hear me talk about changes to the league, I'm trying to incentivize the regular season more. I'm trying to make the regular season mean more. Not trying to diminish it. I spend more time watching the regular season than I do the playoffs. It doesn't make any sense. So LeBron is mad that he didn't win MVP. I don't even understand from a, a, a truly empirical data-based argument perspective. I don't know what his case would be. Like, it was clear Giannis was the MVP this season. Giannis's MVP candidate, like Giannis's MVP case this year was stronger than it was a season ago. Just because he lost in the second round does not then mean that he shouldn't have been MVP. And again, if you want to then award a playoff or a postseason MVP, I believe that there was one. Like you could go ahead and do that. I, I have no issue with that. But we're not going to diminish and strip away just how dominant. And how amazing a season that Giannis had. He needed to be rewarded for that. That's, in fact, too often, we don't reward the guy who had the great season because of the playoff shortcomings. Like, this is the league trying to correct an error. And we're killing it for it. Tell me, honestly, tell me what the case for LeBron over Giannis would be. Outside of, oh, LeBron is the best player in the league. And we can argue that. If you if you feel that way, of course, I'm not going to disagree. Like, you know, it's LeBron. But that's a very subjective position. If you're just saying LeBron is the best player, okay, explain it to me. Because being the best player overall does not then mean that you are the best player that season. And we, we get really confused when it comes to that. We, we really don't properly grasp that... There were years when, you know, when Otto Porter was in Washington, one year specifically, and I was like, yo, Otto Porter had a better year than Paul George. And people would lose their mind thinking that that then means that Otto Porter is a better player than Paul George. I can have a better season than a player without being better than him overall. That doesn't seem like it's a hard, that doesn't seem like a difficult position to have. Case in point, I think Bradley Beal, I, I said it a few weeks ago, I think Ben Simmons is a better player than Bradley Beal. I think Bradley Beal had a better argument for MVP, or excuse me, All-NBA honors than, than Ben, primarily because of the injuries that Ben had before the restart. Those two things don't contradict each other in my eyes. Like, I, I don't even think that's a difficult position to understand. You know? I think Devin Booker is probably more talented of a player than Chris Middleton. Chris Middleton has absolutely had a better season than Devin Booker. That makes sense, right? That's not hard to understand. Like we get caught up in, in the specifics. We get caught, we get lost in the woods when it comes to some of these awards, some of these honors. As opposed to being like, yo, this season, what's the case for LeBron over Giannis? 
And unfortunately, you know what's going to happen, right? Giannis is not going to win another MVP. He's not going to win next season. I know that for sure because the narrative has changed now. Like, now Giannis is going to have to fight the narrative monster for real. I don't know what Giannis would have to do to win an MVP next year because the only thing that Giannis can do to get himself back into the MVP light is win a ring. And obviously, he can't win a ring in the regular season. So Giannis is now looking like, oh, two years from now. And, and this is what we do. We did it to LeBron. Derrick Rose, I, talk, I just talked about it. People made up their mind when LeBron failed in Cleveland, went to Miami. We're not going to award him. It, there was literally nothing that LeBron could do to win an MVP that season. So they gave it to Derrick Rose over Dwight Howard, over Dirk Nowitzki because of what? The story was better. Derrick Rose didn't have a better year than any of those three players I just named when he won his MVP. And I don't want to sound like I'm disrespecting the player or discrediting them. Phenomenal players. There's an MVP that happened a few, a handful of years ago. He had a remarkable hit. I don't... Fuck it. I love Russ. Russell Westbrook is one of my favorite players in the league because of his intensity. I just love the way he plays. Not necessarily from a... Uh, I don't necessarily agree with the way he decides to play, but the intensity, the effort. I, I just love players who don't cheat the game. And there's no one who's ever seen Russell Westbrook play who could argue the case that he doesn't give it his all every time he's on the floor. He was a player who won, who broke a record that I didn't think that would ever be, like he averaged a triple-double for a year. He did it three years in a row, which then makes, begs the question, he won MVP the first time, but the next two times he did it, he didn't come close. When you award certain things based off of a storyline, it doesn't take long to poke holes in that argument. And there are a lot of players who historically are going to look back like, damn, man. And that's how you get the, the Shaq having one. Because we don't honor the guys when they have, when, when they have these remarkable seasons. I think Kevin Garnett had one. You know, like Kobe had one. Like you, you look back and it's like that doesn't make any sense. But well, that's how we get here. And then we had the All NBA honors, and I talked about that briefly just a moment ago about Bill. Look, guys. Okay, like at some point you have to just acknowledge some of these decisions are hard. The MVP race wasn't hard, in my opinion. That was easy. That was an easy decision to make, in my opinion. All-NBA? That's that's a little bit tricky. Look, in my eyes, in my estimation, there was one player who had a snub, and that was Chris Middleton. I don't... I feel bad because what... If Chris Middleton isn't All-NBA this year, what is going to happen? Like, when is he ever going to get it? Guys, Kevin Durant's coming back. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Clay Thompson's coming back. Zion is only getting better. Luka's only getting better. Devin Booker's coming. Like, there's spots that are going to be filled up. Steph is coming. You know, it's like... Chris Middleton busted his ass this season. Busted his ass. Was point... Was 
three-tenths of a point away from being 50, 40, 90, and averaging 20. That's only happened like five times. And he didn't get an All-NBA nod. That's nuts. I don't want to hear about Bradley Beal getting snubbed. I don't want to hear about Trey Young getting snubbed. I don't want to hear about Kyle Lowry getting snubbed. Dog, it was hard. It's hard. We broke this All-NBA awards down a month ago or so. I was like, dog, it's going to be hard to crack this team, particularly from the guard standpoint. I didn't think that Chris Middleton wasn't going to make it. Slim, if you are Bradley Beal, Trey Young, Devin Booker, fucking Kyle Lowry, nah, bro. You don't have, it, it was tough. Chris Middleton has an argument. He's the only one. For a previous guest friend of the program, Kevin Broom, uh, he and I was going, we had a, a back and forth a bit. And he was talking about how he thought Bam Adebayo should have also been accounted for in all NBA. And, and he has a legitimate case. I, I wasn't necessarily, I didn't necessarily feel that he was snubbed though. You can definitely say that, yo, he should have been there over there over this player or this particular player. I don't necessarily feel like the system was broken because he didn't make it. The system absolutely failed Chris Middleton. Absolutely. Like, there's no way you can say that 15 other players had a better season. Again, not a better players overall, not more skilled, but this season had a better year than Chris Middleton. You can't do it. I can understand why, like, bro, I live outside of D.C. So I hear the Wizards fans more so than I hear anybody else. I have Wizards fans in my close circle, family who are Wizards fans, friends who are Wizards fans, right? People I work with, Wizards fans. I hear them and I see them more. So I saw so much, oh, he's a second leading scorer. He's not in the All-NBA team. Oh, my gosh, it's a flaw. It's because of market size. The Wizards aren't on television enough. That's why they didn't make like, like, dog, shut up. If Bradley Beal would have played the other side of the ball, honestly, if he would have just put some effort in the first half of the season defensively, you know what happens? The Wizards probably catch Orlando and Bradley Beal the team is definitely better, and he probably gets it all. You can't be that bad defensively. He had, and it's not just that. He scored on, you know, very efficiently offensively. He also had a 34% usage rate. And here's the thing. We hear usage rate. A lot of people think that usage rate somehow means the number, the amount of time that the player has the basketball. It doesn't. Usage rate just means, and I think we've talked about this at nauseum in the past here, but it just means the number of offensive possessions while players on the floor that ends with that player doing something, right? Whether it's a, a, a missed free, a missed field goal, a made field goal, a free throw attempt or a turnover, right? What ha- like you end the offensive possession in some way? Bradley Bill had a thirty-four percent usage rate. He had a 29% assist percentage. And he was on the floor more than most players in the league. So, of course, you should have 30 points. Dog, you you took 23 shots. The entire offense was built around Bradley Bill. And I'm not knocking him because, again, 
He was quite efficient, 45% shooting, all right? Not going to knock him. But I've, I've heard his, his, his shooting coach, his teammates, former players, oh, Bradley Beal saw double teams and triple teams all year round and still was able to get 30 points. And what I would argue is that, well, you know what? Maybe, right, maybe instead of shooting it that many times, he should have tried to find the other open player. If you're getting doubled and triple teamed, that means that they're open players. The offense on the Wizards wasn't the issue. Anybody who watched them understands that. And I'm not picking on Bradley Beal again. I'm just around a bunch of Bradley Beal fans. And they and have taken this kind of personally. I'm not a big counting stats guy. You guys know this if you listen to the show. I don't points per game, assists per game, rebounds per game without any type of context. It doesn't necessarily mean anything to me. That's my position. I'm not trying to change anyone else's. But if you are on the floor as long and as much as Bradley Bill was, if you are going to be the focal point of the offense the way Bradley Bill was, then your points per game, your counting stats, that can't be the number one argument. I've heard fans say, hey, if you're not going to, if you're not going to honor players who don't win, just say that. That's not the case. It's not just because the Wizards lost. That's not the reason why Bradley Beal didn't make the All-NBA team. It's because there were a bunch of other players who played well. You saw what happened. If, if, if you're only going to look, the voters, I don't know how they break it down. I don't think the people who voted for Ben Simmons are also the, are aligned with the people who voted for Russell Westbrook. I don't. There was a divide. Russell Westbrook's counting stats were greater than Bradley Bill's. Brad scored more points. Russell shot better from the floor. Russell got more assists. Russell got more rebounds. And, of course, the Rockets won games. So, if you're doing the counting stat case, well, then Brad's counting stats are not as impressive as Russ's. Hell, I don't know if we're just doing counting stats without context. I don't know if Bradley Beal's counting stats are better than Trey Young's. Hear me. Beal is a better player than Trey Young. Because no matter how bad Brad was defensively, Trey Young was somehow worse by a, a significant margin. But hey, the people who are like, yo, Brad was second leading it, like second in scoring this year. How do you leave the, the player second in scoring off the all NBA? Well, Trey Young was second in assist. Then he scored one less point than Brad. Again, I think Brad is a better player. I think Brad had a better argument for all NBA. But you have to start to understand, if you're going to tie yourself to an argument, you better be consistent with it. Don't then move and shift and change the goalpost when someone brings presents you something, right? I don't believe Trey Young should have made all NBA, but if we're doing just counting stats, 29 and 9 and 4, that's pretty fucking impressive. In fact, 29, 9 and 4 sounds better than 36 and 4 in my eyes. But I again, I think Bill's case was better than Trey's. Hell, if it's about winning, they didn't think about it. The Wizards had a better roster, and their roster wasn't very good. 
But don't tell me that the Wizards roster is worse than Orlando's. Nick Vucevic went to the postseason two years in a row. 19 and 10 this year. 47% shooting. A steal a game. Three assists a game. And for you Wizards fans out there, don't tell me Orlando's team is better than the Wizards. Because none of you guys would trade Rui, Thomas Bryant, Troy Brown, and Bertans for Aaron Gordon, Fultz, DJ Augustine, and Terrence Ross. You wouldn't do it. But Vucevic was able to lead his team to the postseason. I haven't heard now one Orlando, Orlando Magic fan screaming about, oh, it's unfair. We're not getting any attention. It's not It's not fair. It's market size. You haven't heard it. Vucevic didn't deserve it. You can make the case that his argument is better than Brad. I don't agree. I think Bradley Beal is a far better player than Vucevic. But again, what is your argument? Be consistent with your argument. Be consistent with it. Because if you're talking about what his counting stats were, well, his counting stats weren't better than a lot of other players. Other players who didn't make it. It definitely isn't his advanced statistics. I think what the voters showed you is they, they reward, with the exception of a few, obviously, we're talking Luka, we're talking Harden, even though Harden's defense is, is not nearly as bad as people make it out to be. But for the most part, the voters rewarded two-way players. That's what happened. Westbrook isn't a two-way player, but his counting stats are significant. In my opinion, they're better than Brad's. Ben, two-way player. Jimmy, two-way player. Uh, Tatum, two-way Like you, you see what they were rewarding, particularly once you got off that first team. So, yeah, man. It was tough. Bradley Bill in any other year would have made the All-NBA. I truly believe that. He would have made it definitely. If, if Brad played this season last year, he absolutely would have made it over Kemper. Absolutely. But this year was a different animal for a lot of different reasons. And it speaks to just how talented, how deep, and how phenomenal the player pool is in this year's league, in the league now. It's a testament to all the players. But man, you Kyle Lowry fans, you Trey Young fans, you Beal fans, y'all just got to chill a bit. I understand they may be your favorite players. I understand you feel like you were slighted, but you weren't. Sometimes other people just perform better. It was a hard decision. MVP, nah. I don't want to hear Laker fans talk about, oh, man, they messed this. No, they didn't. MVP votes were right. Giannis was the MVP. Is LeBron mad that he had 16 votes as opposed to 21? Dog, I don't know. But the fact that he only had 16 votes this year, it actually makes me feel better about the voting process as it pertains to the MVP awards because they didn't rock with narrative. They went with the empirical data. There is no case for LeBron. There is no case for James Harden over Giannis this year. There just wasn't. Giannis was that damn good. And unfortunately, because so much is being made about his winning 
and the performance in the postseason, he's um, it's almost as if no matter what Giannis does next season, he will not be an MVP. And that's the problem. Making your mind up before anything has even been done. That's the problem. They got it right. And because of it, they're going to reconfigure and redo the process before we, any of us has even seen anything. We know Giannis isn't going to win MVP now. And that's a problem. All NBA, completely different issue. It was hard to pick 15 players this year. It just was. No matter how you break it down, whether you go by counting stats, whether you go by advanced statistics, whether you go by a little bit of both, whether you go by winning or losing, it's hard. Chris fucking Middleton was a part of the best team in the league and didn't make the post or didn't make an all NBA team. Advanced statistics show he should have made it. Counting stats show he should have made it. Team winning shows he should have made it. And he didn't. So yeah, he he's got a legit beef. But everybody else, dog, chill the fuck out. You know what I'm saying? Chill out. People just lose their damn age. It's just, and it happens every year. It happens every single year. You could, you knew what was going to happen this year. Like I'm trying to tell my Wizards friends and family members before, and I got Hawks friends and family members too. And I'm trying to tell my dog, I don't think Brad, I don't think Young are going to, I knew Trey wasn't going to make it. I didn't think Brad was going to make it. I'm trying to get people ready. Just understand, like, this is what's going to happen. And Bama's was ready to, like, they was blown. Like, you didn't see this coming. It was hard. And they look, had Bradley Bill made it, I would be saying the same thing to Russell Westbrook fans who may have been upset or Ben Simmons fans who may have been upset. Like, dog, that's, it was that close. That's how great of a season Brad did have. And again, if he had this season in any other year, he makes it. Or how about this? That's one way to look about look at it. But how about this? If Bill were to focus on rounding his complete game out just even a bit, he makes it. So do you want to play victim or do you want to make the necessary changes after looking in the mirror? I guess that's pretty much the overall thought that I have on the all NBA honors because there's a lot of people upset and making excuses about market size and lack of respect and number of games on television. It's been so nauseating seeing the excuses. I've seen more articles and again, I'm in DC. So of course I'm going to be uh, made aware of this more so than if I lived in Milwaukee, but I've seen more people frustrated over Bill not making it and frustrated over Trey Young not making it than Chris Middleton, the guy who actually has a legit beef. To me, that signifies a problem. And I just don't have enough confidence that we're going to do the necessary things to fix it as opposed to just making the situation that much more worse, that much worse. All right, guys, you heard the horn. First half completely devoted to the NBA. So we're going to take a break with halftime this week. And we're going to step on the gridiron. You know, we started the show almost, what, over three years ago now? Something along those lines. 
And one of the more popular halftime segments that we've done, that we did literally from the beginning, was pretty much a game show where you can play at home. And it's pretty impossible to lose at this point because when we asked, did Ray Lewis really say that shit? Nine times out of ten, he really did. And for the next edition, you get to play and see just how deep the insanity from number 52 really goes. Take a listen. Hi, it's time for the game that has the entire world asking one simple question. Did Ray Lewis say that shit? The rules are simple. I make a statement, then you decide if Ray Lewis really said that shit. Here we go, round number one. Did Ray Lewis say, I'm more than a friend, I'm a brother, to T.L. just seconds after warning him not to bring up a murder incident from his past? You're damn right he did. Take a listen. My foundation is God. My foundation is, if you want to go back and pull up my past, be careful. Just like he's my, he's my brother. He's, he said, I, you know, he thought I was his friend. I'm more than a friend, brother. I'm a brother. Okay, time for round two. Did Ray Lewis say that God spoke to him and asked him why he's not sharing his joy with his teammates? If you said yes, you'd be correct. You can't make up anything that insane. God been talking to me so much. You know what he been saying? Why you sharing all your joy and peace to yourself? Let your teammates know how peaceful it is just to go out and play. Just free, stress free. Now, it's time for the bonus round. Did Ray Lewis once say, we don't even know what yesterday has for us? Yep, you guessed it. That crazy motherfucker said that shit too. Right now, it's all we got. You know what I'm talking about? The greatest opportunity in the world is found in today. You understand that? We don't even know what yesterday got for us. You know what I'm talking about? Cause it's already gone. Tomorrow, too far away. What about right now? What about right now? Huh? Huh? Would you give it all up for me right now? I got you. Huh? Let's go then. All right. See you next time for more of Did Ray Lewis Really Say That Shit? Hey, what happened to y'all man Ray Lewis, Joe? Like, I remember toward the end of his playing career, and everybody was like, yo, Whomever signs Ray Lewis, he was like this big time upcoming free agent for, you know, the the networks. Like whoever signs Ray Lewis, he's going to be a superstar in broadcasting. He's going to be the next one. And like he was doing Monday Night Countdown. He was doing all the shows. Then he went over to Fox and was doing the, the shows, was skipping everything. And like now I don't see him anymore. And he's just like, yo, what? unlike some of the other funny former athletes, Bill Walton, the Reggie Millers. Ray Lewis, it felt like he just took himself so seriously. So it's funny, but not in the same way that it's funny when I listen to Bill Walton or when I listen to Reggie Miller. You know what I'm saying? Like, Ray Jai, like, one knee is for protest, two knees are for Jesus. That motherfucker really said that shit, Joe. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, oh my goodness, bro. You want to talk about rabbit holes. He watches Ray Lewis videos, just mouth open, just like, yo, how? How did this happen? In any event, hopefully you all enjoyed halftime this week. And that means we are now ready to start the second half 
in-game adjustments have been made. We know how we want to finish up the game strong, finish up the, stro the show strong, easy for me to say. And we're going to focus on a movie, a documentary that I just saw that really left um, a strong impression on your boy. I'm talking about The Social Dilemma, our third topic this week. Third quarter. It feels like in the midst of all of the craziness that has gone on in 2020, if you enjoy documentaries, we've had some really, really great ones. It feels like years ago, truly feels like years ago when we were all watching the Aaron Hernandez documentary. Remember that? Like I was in the midst of actually working on a, a doc myself and I get back home and I'm watching this and I'm like, wow, this was really, really well done. Then it was the Tiger King, obviously the last dance. There have been things on the mop. Just so many different I mean, the Epstein ones. There have been so many documentaries in 2020. And I'm listening. I believe it was the Joe Budden podcast. Maybe it was Gillies. Um, no, it was Joe's. And they are talking about this doc this documentary on Netflix called The Social Dilemma. And, you know, this is right up my alley. Any of you all who listen to this podcast, you know, we usually do the... Uh, uh, rise of the machines and it was so funny because in the doc they're talking about kind of how we as humans how we've been uh, conditioned to think about ai right and like the robot apocalypse or whatever the case may be and they're like yo what you've seen in films and what i talk about a lot on this show is when the artificial intelligence robots however you want to break it down when they are able to surpass the strengths of humans, right? When their strength is, can topple human strength. But what we never really consider is how AI can manipulate our weaknesses. And that's kind of what the social dilemma is all about, man. Like, I'm watching this joint, and I promise you, and we're going to get to some of this later in the fourth quarter, because... This past week has been just so nasty. I mean, I remember months ago, I was talking about how I was considering getting off of social media, specifically Twitter, uh, because like it was around Kobe's death, and it was a it was just a lot of just a lot of nastiness, a lot of off off putting things, um, and it was just like you know what, this isn't really the move, and I was really really close to deactivating my account, and I promise you. About 40 minutes into watching this thing, I seriously sat down. I was thinking to myself, you know what? It may be time. So just fair warning, guys. If you guys try to tweet at me and it's like, nah, this account doesn't exist anymore, it's because I just wrote on a dip. But there's so much I really want to get to here, man, because I'm, I mean, the, 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 the topic is fascinating to me. And just kind of how we as a society we have kind of grown apart we've detached and for a lot of different reasons obviously specifically now that we're, we're talking in the middle of a pandemic it's it's almost like a necessity out of health concerns that we literally social distance right but helping and abating in that whole process is that we are now almost conditioned to always look at our phones, always have our devices right there with us. Like I'm someone who preaches this stuff all the time and I'm always checking my phone always. 
And like some of the stuff that they were saying was sent at home. I was like, bro, sometimes I will pick up, I will just log on, like not even, I was just tap into an app like a minute after I had already gotten off of it. You know what I mean? Just just almost like I'm a junkie, just to see, just to get a fix, see if I have another notification or if someone posts a pic. Like, it's just crazy. And I'm watching it with my daughter because, you know, she's a preteen now. And I'm very, very strict with her in terms of making sure that we keep her away from these type of devices. Um, pull the curtain back a little bit. I've been like that for, with my daughter for like forever. I was like, dog, I, I don't have a Facebook account. So when she was born, I'm talking to her mom like, yo, don't put her pictures on Facebook. She would do it. You know what I'm saying? And I'm, you know what I'm saying? Like, y'all know what time it is. You have children. You can understand. Like, there's just certain little conversations and you go back and forth because like, look, there's no blueprint on how to be a parent specifically in today's day and age. So, you know, we would have, we were getting back and forth about it. Like, yo. Don't put pictures of our child on the internet because like that junk can't come out. Like you can delete the picture, it's still there. It's it's forever gone. And if you've been paying any attention to kind of how Facebook gets down, and guys, guess what? Facebook owns Instagram. You know what I'm saying? It's like it's crazy out here. So that's when she was born. So I've been kind of like this crazy Dennis Quaid kind of the robots are gonna get you. Like what you hear on the show during those segments, I don't put a lot of sauce on that. That's kind of how I get down. I just really don't like that stuff. You know what I mean? So as she gets older, you know, we've kind of felt kind of fell on a kind of middle ground between her mother and myself. And then when she was eight, her mom gave her an iPad. And I was just like, dog, huh? You know what I'm saying? Like I see little children and I get it, right? Because... Maybe I'm a curmudgeon. You know, I'm 37 years old, so I don't feel that old, but it's like a world. It's like a, it's just so different. Time is just moving so fast. Technology, this is one of the talking points they had in the doc. It's like technology is advancing at a pace that you really just can't even compute, honestly. The The human brain, human emotions, we are just not built for this type of the magnitude of social media. And like it's getting bombarded essentially with other people's opinions. We just aren't built for that. And then when you think about it from a child standpoint, I mean, some of the statistics about girls, teenage and preteen girls, again, I have a preteen daughter. It's heartbreaking. It's frightening. So, you know, her mom gets her the iPad and I was like, dog, we not doing this. So my spot, my baby doesn't, doesn't use the iPad. Just not doing it. Like, I'll get you. We'll, we'll read. We go to the library. Back when the library was open, this girl has a, her book collection is far superior than that of mine, right? Like, this girl has books on type of books. We draw, we paint, we go outside, we play, we'll do whatever, not having my baby on an iPad, but along the way, she develops kind of this interest in editing, like non-linear, non-linear, easy for me to say, editing. And as a parent, you you find out that your child has an interest and is taking to a, a, a legit 
hobby, a hobby that this may turn into a career. You know, I'm not pushing my baby anyway, but you know, you never know kind of what can be nurtured and developed into a passion in a career. And as someone right and with my job who edits all the time, I'm like, okay, this is useful. The tube is out of the tooth. You know what I mean? You can't get, you can't put the toothpaste back into the toothpaste jar, right? So as a parent, you're trying to figure out, okay, how best can I navigate this kind of wild, wild west, uncharted territory when it comes to these social media devices and applications, but then still kind of nurture my child who has clearly taken an interest. And here's the thing. It's even if I keep her away from these devices, these iPads or whatever the case, when she goes to school, she's using these things. These are tools. And I'm assuming that a lot of other parents are feeling similar. Maybe not this exact way, but like you have these devices that can be, they, they are 100% resources. They are um, absolutely tools to help. But when you watch the documentary, the, these people, and these are all people who used to run in some way, some shape or form, some capacity, all of the major apps and Google and whatever the case, so Pinterest, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, um, Google, WhatsApp, all of these people, like all of these different organizations and companies. And there are people who came to the realization all on their own. Like these people don't, they weren't talking to one another. They just all like, yo, we built something that is like significantly, potentially like an existential crisis. And they left. These people are talking about, they don't let their children on any of these apps. And like, that's kind of, that's like, should ring the alarm first. Like when you build something, but you don't allow your, your loved ones to use it. Okay. Yeah. I ain't fucking with you. Like the big tobacco companies back in the day. And they talk about, nah, I never would smoke that. I would never smoke around my child. That's all I needed to know. Okay. Yeah. That's not, if it's not good enough for your child, it ain't good enough for mine. You understand? But back to the major point, you know, we, it's, it's tricky, right? Because it's easy to blame these applications. It's easy to blame the devices, but we have kind of built an environment that we, we kind of have welcomed the, the ecosystem where actual human to human interaction has been diminished, right? Like if you were around my age or older, when you were a child, it was like, yo, I'm going outside and I have to, I'm going outside until the light comes on. Like that's when I need to be back. If you were punished and sent to your room, that was the worst thing possible. Like having to go to your room for me, not being able to go outside was the worst. My parents would let me go on my bike with my friends and we'd just be gone for hours. There's no way in the world that I would let my daughter just go out on her bike for hours. I mean, I, I was nine, eight, seven, just chilling with my homeboys. And we was gone. You know what I'm saying? Like, we was just out. Thought we used to have block parties. When was the last time you had a block party? Just you in the community, just out, grilling, having fun in the streets. You meet people, whatever, bong, bong. Your neighbors. 
I would have sleepovers. <laughs> My pack, like, with just teammates of mine on the on the baseball team. Oh man, Jonathan's having a part a sleepover. Can I go over? Okay, your parents will meet them at the game or whatever. But they didn't know know them. Drop them off. Hey, here's the number. Call me if there's ever an emergency, or we'll pick them up Sunday morning. And that was just the thing. I never let my child just go out for hours on her bike. Just not happening. I don't even know the last time I was a part of a block party. I don't. My daughter has been with this Spanish after school program basically for the last five years. And one time my daughter was like, hey, I want to have a sleepover with one of her classmates. So I'm, I go to her parents like, hey, you know, my baby wants to have a sleepover. Is that okay with you guys? And they was like, you know what? Let's have a, a play date first and see how it goes. And then I was like, you know what? That makes sense. I felt like I felt like an idiot going up to a, a family who, you know, I see every day basically, but I don't know, asking if their little daughter can have a sleepover with my daughter at my spot. And, you know, I understood when they, when they said, let's have a play date first. I was like, yo, you know what? That makes so sense. I felt like a fool doing that. But, like, when we were children, that was the thing to do. You know what I'm saying? We have aided in creating this ecosystem where we are so detached from one another. But we'll, in a second, we'll upload pictures of our children for, for the world, strangers to see. Not me. Not me. But, like, you get it, right? We have allowed this culture, right, of synthetic interaction to push us into these bubbles where we don't interact. They were talking about how the children don't go on, like young adults don't go on dates. I listened to some of these young boys back when I was going to the barber, going to the gym, and they were like, and I'm just thinking to myself, what are y'all doing? Like, how is this? Like, you ask girls out with DMs? <laughs> like, that's how y'all don't know how to talk. Y'all don't know how to talk. We have allowed technology to push us into this, again, synthetic environment where nothing is real. Nothing. But we don't even know how to tell real from fake anymore. Which is the ultimate like fear horror show. We are so accustomed to living in this fake you know, atmosphere where likes and retweets run the day that we don't know how to decipher from real and fake. And we have been manipulated as a country because of it. And we have voluntarily just kind of allowed it to happen underneath, just right under our nose, no camouflage, no sneak tactics. It's all right here. We know it. And the sad thing is the people who are running these organizations, these companies that are making billions upon billions of dollars, they know what's going on too. And they're not stopping it because it's making them so much money. Oh my goodness, I'm watching this show and I'm just thinking, oh my God, who, what, what, what? Where is the bottom? Where are we going? Because Technology is not going to slow down. In fact, it's probably speeding up. They have our data. They're selling our data. What's the next step? 
You know what I'm saying? Like, what happens next? Because we haven't, we're not catching up. Like, we're, forget a step. We're 10 paces back. We're trying to catch up to what they were doing five years ago. Like, if you're like me, you remember the day. You remember the day when your parents brought home that computer, that first one, right? And the dial-up sound, all that stuff, and you remember it. We have a whole generation of people, multiple generations, who not only are accustomed to having a computer in their home, they walk around with the computer in their pockets. They have multiple computers, whether it's the laptop, whether it's the desktop, whether it's the cell phone, the tablet, the phone, the, the, the watch. And at every turn, you're feeding more and more data. You're becoming more and more addicted. You're using more and more of these apps, giving away information, checking off boxes before reading any of the terms of conditions. We all are. Meanwhile, comp the, the war between the tech groups, the techies, and the government continues to wage on. There are no restrictions. There are none. I watched it with my daughter, and I was so proud of her because... You know, initially she didn't want to watch it. And I didn't want it to make it feel like a chore. You know, she's still at the age where you tell her to do something, she'll do it for sure. But she won't necessarily be engaged if she feels she has, she's in many ways, a lot like me, just stubborn beyond words, right? So I'm just saying, they just watching. She's reading her book at first and then like all this stuff is happening. And slowly but surely she's putting the book down and before you know it, she's on the floor watching it, asking me questions. And I'm just like, yeah, baby, like I need to do better too. But I'm trying to drive home to her. This is why I don't let you on YouTube. This is precisely why, you know, luckily she doesn't, she doesn't have any apps. She's not on any apps. She doesn't even like them. Like she, she looks at me when I get on Twitter and she like kind of laughs at me like yeah, Twitter, but she doesn't do TikTok. She definitely doesn't have an Instagram. No Facebook, none of that stuff, right? The only thing when it comes to my baby is YouTube, right? Because she's a she's a super creative. She tries to do all these editing tools. So she'll go and look to find these tutorials to, you know. So admit, again, it's, it's a slippery slope because she's learning how to do something that she may want to make a lifetime doing. Editing is like, that's something I do, right? I don't want to be the hypocrite parent. Like, oh, don't edit. And then she comes home and she sees me on my laptop when in my Adobe suite, right? So she uses YouTube, but there's still dangers in YouTube, right? I'll find her, like her cousin, basically her best friend, has a YouTube channel. And he's putting up all this stuff. And she's like, oh, well, you know, my cousin is doing it. Why can't I do it? You know, and these are conversations that I'm having. Like, baby, I am not your cousin's father. I'm your father and I need to keep you safe. So she's sitting in this documentary watching it. And it's almost as if you see the light bulb clicks off in her head. And she's like, oh, that's why you don't want me on it. I'm like, yes, precisely. But again, the, the, the sad part is they are resources. Twitter is a phenomenal resource. 
It's phenomenal as a news gathering device mechanism. Like if you if you only want to know about Eastern Conference NHL action, you can curate your account to just feed you everything you need to know about the Eastern Conference at the NHL. You know what I'm saying? And it's phenomenal in that regard. Unfortunately, and you've seen it play out this week, it's been disgusting essentially the last two or three days that so many people are using a resource as a way to spew just hate and foolishness. And if you're talented enough with words, well, then you can have a, a significant following. And if you're captivating enough, well, then people will truly believe what you say, no matter if it's clear or evident that you were just pulling stuff out of your ass. Those, that's scary. That amount of power without any type of res like responsible restrictions. That's scary. I don't know, man. If you have children, I was on the chat, group chat with my homeboys. I was like, yo, man, I hope y'all should check it out. But especially if you have children, watch it, man. That stuff is, is again, it may not be the um, the cleanest. You know, they they had some gumption. They tried some uh, theatrics with the way they were driving home points. It's probably not going to be for everybody, the presentation. Uh, if you watch it, you, if you've seen it, you know what I'm talking about. But the when they just hammer home with the facts and actually have the doc, the documentary phase, it's like kind of a documentary, and then within it, they're having a kind of a, a theatrical kind of flair to it, right? And if you get past that, what the the nuts and bolts of what they're saying is really informative and really strong in my estimation in terms of where we're headed and where we're at as a society. And if you want to do big picture and just kind of think of how we've gotten here and how we've all assisted into living in these conditions, man, it's it's frightening when you think about it, right? Again, the, the path to hell is paved in gold, bro. And now we have a generation of people who don't talk, don't know how to talk to one another. They speak, they connect through these devices. They consume so much critical uh, everything they do is criticized because they put their entire lives up for display. And again, what they say is like, we're just not built as humans to receive all of these critiques, particularly children. And I don't know like how to pull yourself out of this quicksand that we're in. I don't know how we do it. But we're sinking, and it's very evident that we need to start finding a way to get ourselves out before it's too late. If you've seen the doc, hit me up, man. I, I'm really, as again, I don't know how long my Twitter accounts are going to be up. But while it is, hit me. I want to hear your guys' thoughts. I genuinely want to know what you guys think about this documentary because it was fascinating, supremely interesting for me. But this kind of hits a sweet spot for me. So maybe you aren't as paranoid as I am. I want to hear from all of you guys, depending on if you've seen the documentary, what were your thoughts on them? Email me at quarterlyreport at gmail.com or treat at the show at quarterly show. All right, guys, three quarters are in the books. And I kind of 
mentioned throughout the show kind of how um, it's been a really, really nasty week, particularly online as it pertains to the sports industry and how certain people, specifically women in the sports, have been targeted. I'm going to try to take a deeper look into kind of how we got here and what are some ways that we can kind of figure and navigate through these really, really ugly times. It's our fourth topic this week. Fourth quarter. We all make mistakes. <laughs> like newsflash. It's not a profound statement. It's an actual fact. We all know it. We all understand it. But yet, for whatever reason, when certain people make mistakes, it's almost as if they're not allowed to. It's almost as if when certain people, depending on the circumstance, depending on the the uh, the environment, when certain people make a mistake, it's as if it is an indictment on an entire group of people. Okay? Let's rewind a bit. Pull the curtain back, and I can explain to you my biggest professional mistake. And here's the funny thing about my biggest professional mistake. Whether you know me, whether you've known of me when this happened, I'm willing to bet the majority of people who are listening to this podcast, the majority of people who are sports fans of a certain age, you are aware of my biggest professional mistake. I'm almost certain of it. I guess it's uh, five, maybe six years ago. And the Chicago Cubs are changing their mascot into like this kid-friendly cartoon-looking bear, cub. The Bama has on a hat and a jersey. I'm producing a show on, at the time, NBC Sports. Maybe it was Comcast Sportsnet, but I think it was still, I think it was NBC Sports Washington. And unbeknownst to me, like, in the control room, doing a segment probably in the third block, a segment that literally did not need to happen. It wasn't even, it was such a benign segment. If you've ever been in the control room, you know, like, yo, there's a lot of talking. People were looking at hundreds of different things. And then I'm hearing people say, yo, drop that, drop that. I look up and I see a cartoon bear's penis live on air <laughs> and it's just like yo what the fuck is that everybody drops it i'm chuckling because at the time it's like yo how is there a cartoon bear's dick on television how what we finish up the show and i go back you know to my desk to the control room to try to figure out what happened past the guys at Master Control, they just laughing because of course you're laughing. It's a cartoon bear's dick on live television. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, what are you going to do? It was so crazy that after the show, after I go back to, you know, figure out what happened, I'm going to, to speak to my bosses who are still there. This show aired at night and they're asking me, yo, did you do that on purpose? They're literally, they're literally asking me, someone who at that time had been 
with that company for a decade. They're asking me if I put a cartoon bear's dick on television on purpose because no one understood what the hell happened. Now, I have to get into specifics. I'm the producer of the show. So no matter what, anything that happens on that show, it falls on me. So, as the producer, dog, should have saw it. Should have saw it. What can you say? It was everywhere. Like, I'm leaving the office. And people from who I don't even, who I hadn't worked with in years. You okay? What's happening? Two days later, Arsenio Hall, who had a syndicated show at the time, is making jokes. It was literally everywhere. Everywhere. My biggest personal mistake. Now, luckily for me, my biggest personal mistake was something that we all could laugh at. Like, there's, you can't do anything but laugh at it. And also, luckily, and here's the point that I really want to get to. My biggest mistake was never looked upon as an indictment on any large group of people. Right? As a producer, and I get it. No one knows me. No one knows anything about me. No one knows me now. At that time, even fewer people knew me, right? But I was allowed to make that mistake without it being an indictment on every single black person, producer, right? Some people are not afforded the opportunity to make that mistake, even if that mistake is not nearly, you know, everyone's mistake is not going to be that to that degree, right? Whether we're talking about comical or that that many eyes will see it. And I bring all of that up because this past weekend, it was, I guess, discovered, unearthed, I don't know how you want to phrase it, that Maria Taylor left off Anthony Davis on her first, second, and third All-NBA votes. She once, like, once it was made clear, I don't know if she knew, I, I don't know, I've never seen an All-NBA vote before in my life. You know, never seen one. So I don't know if, I don't know if she knew she was the one person who didn't, who left them off his list until she saw the actual ballots because it was public information. So then she tweets it like, I clearly messed up. Now, no one knows that, right? No one knows if she clearly messed up, but I think it's fair to deduce that that was a mistake. Like no one in there, right? Well, there are people who left, there were a lot of people who left several people who I thought were going to be slam dunks off their All-NBA team. Hey, again, Chris Middleton didn't make it. Now, Chris Middleton is not Anthony Davis, obviously. But she says in a tweet that she clearly made a mistake. I'm of the mindset that, yo, you make a mistake. Particularly, you know, we discussed it in the first quarter. The NBA community is such that, you know what, we get the jokes off. And it's part of, it's kind of part of what has been created around this league. And I'm all for that. Hell, I've been the butt of that or the dick of that, right? You know what I'm saying? When you make mistakes, dog, it happens to us all. You can't run around like your shit don't stink. And sometimes you just go ahead to take an L. And depending on the mistake, it doesn't even have to be that big, like, my mistake 
didn't cost me my job. I was suspended for a day. Because at, at that point, I, I had so much goodwill built up over there. Like, that's literally the one mistake that I made. And God damn it, was it a, a doozy, right? But no matter, ask yourself, what's your biggest mistake that you've made professionally? And how'd you get through it? Like, sometimes the best medicine is just to laugh your way through it. And that's okay. But we cannot be naive. We cannot be naive to think that, yo, we're all responsible to make these jokes and let it, let's just leave it at that. Because again, I made a mistake by not viewing all the tapes first, double checking. But at no point was my mistake used to diminish or to, I don't know, weaponize anyone's idea that a black producer couldn't succeed. Hell, I went on to win multiple Emmys after that. We can't be naive to think that we live in a world, particularly in sports, where women won't, like a woman making a mistake won't, and initially, I mean, instantly, her sex will be used against her. That's unfortunate, right? Because again, I'm all for it. You, may, she left Anthony Davis off the All NBA team. Like, okay, you got you got to wear that. You understand? I think we all can agree. That's a mistake. Hey, yo, we could get jokes, cool. But if the first, second, third, fourth, fifth. Seventh, you know, like maybe there's one legit joke there, and then you just go on and on. It's about how she's a woman. She needs to be in the, like all of the nasty stuff the Bamas were talking about. It's, it's like, okay, we have to be responsible enough to acknowledge that our society, like our environment, even in the NBA where so much is about jokes, our environment is not ready. It's not mature enough to get these jokes off and that's the that's the problem we live in a world where if a woman makes a mistake in, 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 in any field really but specifically in sports goodness gracious how ugly how the ugly underbelly of our society just erupts is shown to the world I was, I couldn't believe it. And it was so weird, man, because this happens the day, I want to say, after the passing of Justice Ginsburg, right? God bless the dead. And I'm paraphrasing here because I, I saw, I follow Maria Taylor. I don't know Maria Taylor. I know people, I've worked with people who know her and they swear by her. Was one of, and obviously, if you've seen her work before, you know how talented she is. So, I see your tweet saying basically after a wild week, you know, something along the lines like you want to take my vote. Good luck. Something like that. You know what I mean? I, I wish I had the tweet up, but it was along the lines like, man, it was a long week, for, which it was. And then she talks about her vote. And my mind, because I, I don't know, I, have, I don't look to see about the ballots. I don't look to see who voted one way or another. Like saw the all NBA list. Cool. I didn't pay attention. I, I didn't know what was happening. So 
when she says take away my vote, I'm thinking she's talking about like, you know, the fight that is waging on and when it comes to the Supreme Court justices, what's going to happen with the Senate, all this stuff. And obviously she's, you know, I think she's from Georgia and there's a lot of voter oppression going on in that state. I mean, all over the country, but whatever. So that's what I'm thinking. And then later on, I see, I, I follow Jamel Hill and I see something that Jamel Hill says, and again, paraphrasing, but she's like, you shouldn't have tweeted that you put a bullseye on her back. And then I'm like, okay, what's happening? And I click and I see that some guy from Los Angeles, I guess he's a SB Nation Laker reporter. He tweeted out public information, but he tweeted out that, yo, Maria Taylor is the one person who didn't vote for Anthony Davis. At that moment, put a period right there, just talking about that moment. I was thinking, all right, hold on. You know, why can't he tweet that? That's, you know, that's a news story. You know, it's public information, but at the same time, like, people didn't know. I didn't know. And, like, yo, at that moment, I didn't see her tweet where she said it was clearly a mistake. So I'm thinking, like, oh, what, how, huh? That didn't make any sense. And I was like, yo, I, I want to hear her explanation for that because that's nuts. That's where my mind went. Then later on during this guy's tweet, like, or on his thread, he's like, yo, I apologize to Maria Taylor. I've seen some of the responses. I didn't know that was going to happen. I'm so sorry. And then I look at the responses and I'm like, what the fuck? Because again, my mind doesn't even go there. And I'm not sitting here to be like, I'm on this soapbox or, oh, whatever, whatever. We live in a patriarchal society. So, like, there is no way you have to be trained, you have to recondition, reprogram your mind as a man, hell, as a woman, too, to, to get out of that. And I'm not saying that I'm perfect at that, but I'm just letting you all know, my mind didn't go anywhere near where it actually went. The responses to those tweets were just crazy. And I'm not, I'm, maybe I'm naive because I don't, I don't, it's not made aware to me at every moment, like every single moment that anytime a woman may make an honest mistake, a mistake that we all make, they have to fight that. And then you just go on days later and people are writing articles and it just becomes very apparent that people are profiting now. They are making money off of pushing this dumb rhetoric and continuing. Like, you see people trying to fight for progress and there are people who are actively trying to push back on that progress. It's insane that her one mistake is now being used, right, to bash women in sports. When I started this podcast, again, small independent podcast. When I started this podcast, the aim was like to to give voice to stuff that just to people and to um, topics that don't that don't often get talked about. At least in my opinion, that was my mindset. Like, man, I'm going to do this different, and along the way. I was, I made the conscious decision, like, yo, Armand, 
you can't always like you are trying to give voice to things and to people who don't have those opportunities but it can't just be about topics near and dear to like a black man as i am like if you are honestly trying to do that you have to expand you have to expand your thought you have to expand your horizons in this regard and you have to try to get women women to speak here now when i was having guests on weekly i would say 88 to 90% of the guests that I've had on are people who I know personally or people who I've at least met professionally, right? There have been guests that, especially later on, who I would reach out to people who I never knew, I've never met, never talked to. But I found myself in terms of when it comes to booking guests that I know, the overwhelming number of people who I know in the sports world are men. I'm fortunate enough to have known several really dope, really smart and talented women, producers, anchors, reporters, whatever the case may be, who were able and who wanted to come onto the show and help me out. And I appreciate them so much. They know who they are. Love them to death. But when it came to like, booking guests it then became scarce it's like man i just don't know that many i've never i haven't come across that many women in my 15 plus years in sports production it just it was insane to look at it and then that then echoes reinforces the belief that yo if this show is about giving a a platform to people who otherwise don't well then you can put women at absolutely have to put women at the top of the list. And then that becomes a a weird battle, right? Because I'm sending, like, if I don't know you, right, I kind of have to send a DM. And we've talked about this in this show and in the past that so many people use that as a tool, as a vehicle to, 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 you know, to start dating someone, right? And I'm at no point am I interested in that. I'm just trying to do the best show that I possibly can. But because we live in such a a dangerous environment for women, right? The DM people, people to get them on the show literally has worked twice for women. And I get it. Like, there's no offense taken. Like, it's the safe play. I can only imagine what their DMs are like, even if they even check it for somebody who they may not follow, right? So here I am trying to, you know, broaden the scope and then the toxic work environment or life environment that has been created in sports is actively working against me trying to fix it. Again, pushback on someone trying to change or doing the best that I can. I'm not saying, I'm, you know, it needs to be changed. And I'm not, again, I'm not here trying to be like I'm on a soapbox. I'm just talking, being real. I can imagine if you're a woman in sports and some independent small podcast that, hey, my name is such and such. I'm wondering if you were to be a guest on the podcast. Like, no, I don't know you. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That's something that unfortunately that's a calculus that women have to make because 
look at the environment that we have created. You know, I don't know if it's easy to see, but I love producing. Like, in these shows where it's like a common thread, and hopefully it's not heavy-handed, but a common thread throughout all the topics. I those are the, I, I try to kind of have that in all the shows. Maybe not successfully, but I think if you go back, if you are to listen to them, you'll find that there's one little common thread that kind of connects all the topics together. Maybe not as perfectly as, or I shouldn't say perfectly, in my opinion, really well done as this week. But they're there. And you just look back and you see kind of all of the things that have led us to this moment. Social media. Like the jokes that we get off as a community in the NBA or as in sports. But then, yeah, sometimes we can leave people out. And if you're not conscious conscious of these setbacks, these pitfalls, then you can be one of the people like, oh, just everybody makes jokes. Come on. I saw so many of those. Oh. She's taking herself so seriously. Why can't I make a joke? If it was a man, I'd make a joke. Yeah, but you can't act as if it's just in a vacuum. You make a joke with a man, again, even in sport, this is the wild thing. We talk about privilege all the time. It's like a buzzword in our society now, but it's real. Everybody has some form of privilege, unless you are a non-binary Cambodian atheist who is asexual you understand in one eye like that one person if you're that one person if you fall in that group sure you probably right don't have privilege cool i get that every single person who does not fall in that group yeah you have privilege i have a privilege particularly working in sports. Unless we're talking about golf, NASCAR, hockey, you understand? If if the conversation is happening and I walk in the room, I'm not ever looked upon as like, oh, you don't know what you're talking about. I can't tell you the number of times I'm at the grocery store and someone asks, oh, you play football? I'm like, nah, oh, you must have boxed. No, well, when I was a younger, I did. Every time, like, that happens multiple times. I'm a big black guy who looks athletic. So the assumption is, okay, he probably played football. Before I started, like, you know, bulking up when I was younger, oh, you must play basketball. Same thing. I can walk in a room. I don't even watch football like that, like, and not to say that I'm not a fan, but it's just not a big deal to me. I think that's pretty evident when listening to this show. But when I walk up, people people will just automatically ask me a football question. And I'm just like, uh, I don't know. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Uh, okay. You got it. I don't even like really talking sports to people who I don't know like that. It's something I probably need to change. But you get the point. When we're talking about privilege and like things that need to change as a black man, right? At times, some people probably think I'm a physically intimidating black man. Oh man, they roll out the red carpet to talk to me about sports. Happens all the time, even when I don't want to talk about it, (laughs) right? That's my privilege. 
I have a privilege in this world in which I work in and kind of stay in. But women don't. Like the people who are so defensive about their privilege, man, you always got to watch them. Because if you can't acknowledge that, Something that's just because you have a privilege does not then mean that you are using it against other people. In fact, to prevent that, you have to acknowledge that it exists. Right? Imagine if I was like, oh, I'm a black man in America. I don't need to have women on my sports podcast. Like, imagine how dumb that would be. Right? Like, why? Why are you thinking that way? Because that type of mentality is whether consciously or subconsciously going to work against equality. I can't then scream for equality when I'm actively either caval- either indifferent or dismissive of the plight of other people. You understand what I'm saying? So I wish we lived in a world where, yeah, you could get your jokes off about Maria Taylor because, yo, that was a mistake. Her words, not mine. I'm sure she probably at some point wanted to talk more about how that mistake happened. Again, I have never seen an all NBA ballot in my entire life. Right? I get that. And then I also get, though, that after two minutes of seeing the responses that she probably, that it's not even probable, that she definitely received, from that one mistake, she's like, okay, never mind. I don't even ever want to think about this again. And then the articles from these mother, these nasty people online, on these social media apps, who are profiting, who are trying to profit off of this nasty underbelly of our culture. I can see how then she's like, man, I don't ever want to even think about this. This is something that most of us never have to deal with when it comes to our mistakes. Because even in my biggest professional mistake, it was never an attack. There were tons of jokes. I mean, how could there not have been? But it was never an attack. It was never nasty. It was, I, there were people who were issuing sympathy. Like, oh man, I feel for whomever was doing that show because it wasn't, Like, especially if you worked in television, you understand kind of how that happened, how that could have happened. I never was attacked. And my mistake was far more egregious than than leaving one player off of an all-NBA team. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? So nasty. People get so worked up over something that does not matter. And it's a sad state of affairs that the first thing, because again, I'm all about, yo, go for the jokes. That's, that's, that's part of life. You got to wear the L, take it. But what does it say about us that the first hundred jokes are about sexism? Like what, how is this so commonplace still, still? It's disgusting and it's sad. And as a man, I can never understand. I can never fully come to terms or grasp how 
frustrating, exhausting, overwhelming, heartbreaking, disappointing. All of this is scary. All of this is, I can never understand. I mean, look, just look at the week that Maria Taylor had. <laughs> just look at the week. Starts on Monday, a guy talks about her, what she's wearing, ends on Saturday. People are going to the depths of hell to make these dumb, juvenile, stupid jokes about someone who clearly is talented, clearly understands what she's doing. You've seen the NBA pregame show before her and after her. You understand, okay, yeah, she gets, she knows what she's doing. She made a mistake. Raise your hand if you've never done it. Right? If we can't get past, if we can't get past sexism and misogyny over an all-NBA vote, if this is the aftermath of a mistake to a vote, to someone who still was all NBA first team wasn't even that, that one vote didn't damage or make it even close. It was fine. One vote unearths all of this. Like everyone always says, Hey man, we're doing so much better. We're making so much progress. And you know what? And we probably are. But, you know, taking one step closer to the, the end of the race, it's progress in the most, like, liberal sense. But we ain't really doing shit. And that's kind of how I look at the fight for equality all across the board. We took a few steps. We still have hundreds of miles to go. So instead of patting ourselves on the back, Let's actually start looking at how we can really, really change the whole game. Because until everybody is frustrated, whether you can fully understand it or not, whether you fully can embrace it or not, we can see that this is all fucked up. We can see it. And if we aren't actively, actively trying to change it, man, then are we truly making progress? Or are you just a hindrance? Are you just in the way? I want to hear your guys' thoughts on the show, this topic, maybe any of the other topics that I touched on, or something that I may have missed. Email me at quarterlyreport at gmail.com. Tweet at the show at quarterly show, Q U A R T E R L E E show. We're on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, Podknife, wherever you listen to podcasts. If you have time, please write a review, leave a five-star review, and then tell me, tell your friends, tell the world why you like and listen to the Quarterly Report Podcast. I want to thank each and every one of you all out there for listening. Went super long this week, but I appreciate you guys rocking with me. Make sure you guys stay safe, wash your hands, wear your fucking masks, and I will see you guys right back here next Tuesday for another episode of the Quarterly Report.